0: Well, if you have your Bibles, Nehemiah 13, and I hope that you do have it, uh, we're not really going to get through much of actually Nehemiah chapter 13 today because I want to look at the idea of the Sabbath in general. Uh, This is the final chapter of Nehemiah. Uh, So what we do here to Ascent normally is we just preach through books of the Bible. We stop every once in a while for things like Easter and Christmas. And every once in a while we'll do a topical series where I kind of give you my opinion on something and I back it up with Scripture. But I try to avoid doing that for the most part because I want our church to be led by God. And so what I need to feed you as your shepherd is God's word. And so that means we pick a book of the Bible like Nehemiah and we read through it. And there's parts that are you know, hard for me to preach on because it's a list of names. And you're like, why in the world would he be preaching on this? And the reason why I would preach on something like that is because it's God's word. So I assume it's in there for a reason for us to have as a church family. And what I love about doing that is it forces me as your pastor to learn new things. God shepherds me throughout the week as I come to his word. And I'm like, God, what does this mean? How does this apply? And often what happens is God will show me a standard in his law that I didn't know was there. And I have to repent before I get up here and preach to you guys. And so it keeps us focused on what God wants for our church family. And we're coming to the end of the book of Nehemiah. We've been in it for quite some time. And uh, we're in this final chapter. And in this final chapter, we see that the Israelites are breaking all three of the vows that they made to God in chapter 10. And so in the second section, we are seeing that they have broken their vow to keep the Sabbath holy. This is what they said in chapter 10, verse 31. It says, When the surrounding peoples bring merchandise or any kind of grain to sell on the Sabbath day, we will not buy from them on the Sabbath or a holy day. We also will leave the land uncultivated in the seventh year and will cancel every debt. They very clearly said, We are going to honor the Sabbath well, we're not going to allow people to sell in our uh, community. And then what happens just two chapters later? They've already broken this vow. And what God convicted me of personally this week is that as a, a church, not just our church family, but I think you know, the, the church in the West. I don't want to say the global church because I'm sure there's places around the globe where they're doing it right. But certainly in our country, this is a place where we have neglected God's command just as the Israelites have. And this is, for me, a personal confession. So when I say things today, it might sound like I'm preaching at you, like a pastor's pounding the pulpit and he's mad at me. That's not my heart at all. If you hear that, it's because that's how I felt this week as I read God's Word. I came to the text and I was like, oh God, I am a sinner. I have missed this. I felt like I had failed as a father and a husband leading my family and certainly as a shepherd of God's people. I was ignorant of this command and I have not led us to keep the Sabbath as we ought to be keeping the Sabbath. Every single week when I come to God's word, there's something usually small where God shows me like you're not living right. And I have to repent personally before I stand up here. But occasionally there are these big moments where I'm like, oh, man, I thought I knew what I was doing in that area. And I really didn't know at all what I was doing. And that was this week. See, because I had always kind of thought of the Sabbath as something that is nice for us to do, uh, something that God wants you to do, something that would be good for your, I don't know, mental health to take a day of rest. But not that big of a deal, really. Until I started reading God's word this week And I realized the Sabbath is a very, very big deal And it's something that as a church community We need to focus on keeping And as families, especially if you're a father here and you have kids This is something you need to study for yourself Because I think it's so important as we lead our families To keep the Sabbath, to keep the Lord's Day holy And so what I'm going to do today is not give you any application This is not a quote-unquote practical sermon I'm just going to try to show you what I saw this week I'm going to try to show you why I believe that this is more important than we probably think that it is. And then we'll come back next week and we'll talk about why God wants us to keep the Sabbath. And then we'll probably come back again and talk about how God wants us to keep the Sabbath. And you might say, Blake, how long are we going to stay on the Sabbath? I don't know, until we start doing it, probably. Uh, I think it's really important. Kind of reminds me of the, the preacher who got up and he preached a sermon. And then he came back on Sunday night and he preached a sermon again. And then Sunday morning he preached the same sermon for the third time in a row. And eventually somebody in the church said, Pastor, You've already preached that sermon. And the pastor looked at him and said, well, have you started living it yet? That's kind of how I feel about the Sabbath, I think, for all of us. like We we need to stay here. We need to figure this out because I think it's important. I think God wants us to keep this day as a holy day, and it is God's gift to us. So I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to jump in, and I'm going to look at two different things that really stuck out to me this week in my study. Number one is church history when we look at how the church in the past has kept the Sabbath and we compare it to how we keep it today, it's striking. And then I want to look at the most important part, which is what God's word says about it. I want you to see that God cares about the Sabbath probably a lot more than you think that he does. So let me pray for us. Father God, thank you so much for your word. God, messages like this hurt because they show us our deficiencies. God, I pray that today as I talk about the law, I would not build up so many bricks that it would crush the people. But God, that as we feel the burden and the weight, we would run to you and we would experience the grace, the forgiveness and the freedom that you offer us. And God, that you would begin to transform us into the type of people who want to keep the Sabbath, not just because we ought to, but because we love you and we desire the things that you desire. God, I pray that you'd forgive us for where we have failed. And I thank you that you have already forgiven us for where we have failed in these areas. It's in your name that I pray. Amen. I'm going to build the bricks on you for a little bit. So hang in there. This is going to feel like a lot of law and it is law. And the law is supposed to make you feel bad. There's a guy who uh, was, he became a new Christian and he was reading the Bible. And he said, I don't think the Bible is working. And the pastor said, what do you mean? The Bible is not working. He said, well, I thought the Bible was supposed to make me feel better about myself. But the more I read of it, the worse I feel about who I am. And the pastor said, oh yeah, that's exactly what it's supposed to do. It's a mirror. It shows us what is wrong with us. When you look in the mirror and you see how messed up your hair is, I don't know why I pointed at Mark. You look great today, but (laughs) that guy, he's looking in the mirror. He looks great. When you look in the mirror, you can't avoid what the reality is. When we come to the Bible. We cannot avoid what the reality is. But friends, at the end of this message, I'm going to take us to the cross. And at the cross, those burdens are lifted from our shoulders. So just remember that. We're coming to the cross. But to get there, we've got to look at the law first. So two things. first one is church history. Just look at how the church has done the Sabbath different from us. And I've got three examples from people. Uh, I've got your grandparents. I've got Stonewall Jackson. And I've got a Supreme Court case. Stick with me. It's going to be fun. The first one is uh, is your grandparents. If, if you have... Uh, the privilege of knowing a saint who's in their 80s or even 90s. So for some of us, it's you know great-grandparents. Uh, and you were to ask them, tell me how the Sabbath was kept when you were a kid. You would find the difference between what they did on the Lord's Day and what we do on the Lord's Day absolutely striking. It would look nothing like the way that you and I keep the Sabbath. Uh, there is a quote I have from a pastor who died in 1975 talking about his childhood in the 1900s. Uh, and how the Sabbath was kept. Uh, I chose this guy's quote because he has the coolest name. His name is Donald McDonald. I mean, that's just, that's cool. You wonder, how does Pastor Blake choose the quotes that he puts in his sermons? I just look at how cool the names are. Here's what Donald McDonald, I could just say that the whole sermon. Donald McDonald, here's what he says about the Sabbath in the early 1900s. Compare this to the way you're keeping the Lord's Day today. And remember, I, I am, I'm a worm up here as well, because this does not look like my Lord's Day either. But here's what he says. The book was taken. And he's not talking about any book. He's talking about the Bible. The, the Bible was taken, however late with their household work. Some might be on other nights. And on Saturday, there would not be one light in a hundred to be seen at 12 o'clock midnight. The Sabbath itself began with family worship. So they would begin the worship the night before on the Sabbath, and they would make sure that they were in bed and the lights were out so that they could get up and go the next day. It says public worship usually began at 12 noon. Hundreds of people made their way to the house of God. The only way to get there was by walking. Yet almost everyone who was able to go attended, although many lived several miles away. Ooh, that should convict us right away. Because there's been times where this church family has canceled services because there was a little ice on the road. And, and in the early 1900s, they are walking several miles to get to the Lord's gathering. How many of you would walk one mile to the Lord's gathering? I don't know. I don't know if a lot of us would. I know some of you would. It says Even, evening worship was at six o'clock. Again and again, everyone who could go was there. Particularly impressive was the complete silence that prevailed throughout the day. Not a stroke of work was done. There was no noise of car or cart. Between church services, no one was seen outside his own house except those who had to take their cattle to drink. Should anyone be seen going up or down the main road, people would come to their doors to ask one another if they knew who it was, being absolutely certain he was going for medical aid or for some ill person or to deliver an urgent message. In other words, if they saw somebody outside on the Sabbath, they thought, we better call the cops. Something must be wrong. Why would they be doing something unless there was some serious emergency? It says, inside the house, no books were read but the Bible and religious books. All other books were put away on Saturday night. Conversation about worldly things was not allowed. Frequently, relatives and friends who had a long distance to walk to the church came into the parents' homes between services, and their conversation was always of religious kind. As a rule, they discussed points made by the preacher in the morning service. This was the way the Lord's Day was observed, as I remember it. Does that sound like your Lord's Day? Doesn't sound like mine. Where the whole day is focused solely on God and enjoying who He is, talking and thinking about Him. If you ask some of your grandparents, you will find out that that was not that long ago, that that's what the Lord's day looked like. Now, I have often said, you know, it's such a drag that we, when I was a kid we went to church twice, Sunday morning and Sunday night. But now you hardly find a church that even does Sunday night services where the saints would gather together twice. And I'm not saying that that's absolutely what we should do. I'm just saying, isn't it strange how lenient we have become on the Lord's day? The second one is Stonewall Jackson. Now, I don't know if you guys know your Civil War history very well, but Stonewall Jackson uh, was a general for the Confederate side of the army. I just read uh, his biography this year. I totally recommend it. Uh, because it, the biography literally made me cry at the end of it. That's how you know it's a good biography. I feel like my friend died when he died at the end. But uh, it's, it, this man is super interesting. No matter what you think of the Civil War, he was, he's a very interesting character because he was full of integrity. You, you cannot deny that this man loved God fully. Uh, he's kind of a, a quirky, kind of weird man as well, though. Uh, he's a professor of uh, school before the war. And he was so serious about keeping God's law that, that it annoyed the people who were around him. Uh, there was a professor visiting from uh, England who came in, and he brought the the phrase that a lot of us use, uh, which is "you know what I mean." Uh, so, like when when you're rambling on and you're like, "I don't know how to end this sentence," you just, "I, you know what I mean." Uh, that kind of phrase was used with Stonewall Jackson, and uh, this professor from England was rambling on about something, and he said, y- "You know what I mean," and Stonewall Jackson stopped him and said, "I do not know what you mean because you will not stop rambling," and. <laughs> The guy tried to explain to him. He said, well, it's a, it's a phrase. It's what people say. You know what I mean. And Stonewall Jackson said, I do not know what you mean. And if I said I knew what you mean, I would be lying. And that disobeys God's commands. So he was that kind of guy. You know, not the kind of guy you're probably inviting to your party. He's not super fun, but he cares deeply about keeping God's law. And here's what it says about the Sabbath. His wife wrote this about him uh, and, and how he took and he uh, how he prioritized the Sabbath rather. It said, certainly... He was not less scrupulous in obeying the divine command to remember the Sabbath day and to keep it holy than he was in any other rule of his life. Since the Creator had set apart this day for his own and commanded it to be kept holy, he believed that it was. Huh? God said it and he believed it. That's strange, isn't it? Wrong for, he believed it was wrong for him to desecrate it by worldly pleasure, idleness, or secular employment as to break any other commandment of the Decalogue. Sunday was his busiest day of the week, as he always attended church twice a day and taught in two Sabbath schools. He refrained as much as possible from all worldly conversation. And in his family, if secular topics were introduced, he would say with a kindly smile, We will talk about that tomorrow. (laughs) You can just imagine how annoyed you'd be if you were one of his children. We will talk about that tomorrow. Today, we talk about the Lord. It says, He never traveled on Sunday. Never took his mail from the post office, nor permitted a letter of his own to travel on that day. He wouldn't even send an email on the Sabbath Sunday. Always, before posting it, calculating the time it required to reach its destination. So he said, if I'm sending this on Friday, it might be out on Sunday, so I just won't send it until next week, because I don't want my mail to be traveling on the Sabbath day. Uh, and then it says this, One so strict in his own Sabbath observance naturally believed that it was wrong for the government to carry the mail on Sunday. Any organization which enacted secular labor of its employees on the Lord's Day was, in his opinion, a violator of God's law. Look at our country. How many businesses take Sunday off of the major businesses? I can only think of one. It's Christian chicken. It's the Lord's chicken. Chick-fil-A, that's the only one. He thought it was wrong for any of them to be open. This is how fast our community of uh, not just believers, but the world around us has changed when it comes to keeping the Sabbath. Sabbath. Now you might say to me, and you would probably be right to say to me, Blake, but we must avoid legalism. We cannot become legalists. That sounds legalistic. And I would totally agree with you. There's always two problems with God's commands. And we are people prone to ditches. We can never just drive straight down the middle of the road. So we go one way or the other way. And on one side of the ditch is legalism. Where we add a whole bunch of rules and we make God's commands no longer life-giving. The Sabbath should be life-giving. That's why God gave it to us. You know, if if you're a father and your children come to you and they say, Dad, can we stop taking vacations because they're not fun? Or if you come home and you say, we're going on a vacation and your whole family goes, oh, do we have to? Here's what you ought to know. You're doing vacations wrong. That is not the proper response to vacations. The answer is not for you to stop taking vacations. The answer is for you to stop taking vacations the way you're doing it. Everybody knows that you should not plan out vacations. You should sleep in as long as you want. Now, my wife disagrees with me completely. She wants to pack as much into the vacation. She's a legalist, see, and I'm godly. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> that's not true. That's not true. But we can ruin things with legalism. That's, that's a fact. That is a fact. And you might say this was overly legalistic for them to only talk about God's word and only read the Bible. And that might be so. I'm, we're not talking yet about how we keep the Sabbath. But here's what I want you to know is if that was legalism, we are definitely on the lenient side. The other ditch, which is to completely ignore the command altogether. Uh, The fact that we have fallen so far is kind of crazy to me. There are millions of people who call themselves Christians who do not keep the Sabbath at all. And there are millions more who think that keeping the Sabbath is 45 minutes on a Sunday. And if the preacher goes long, we get a little upset about it because that's just too much God. (laughs) That is enough Bible reading, Pastor. That prayer was too long. That song was too long. We need to get out of here and get on with our lives. Friends, if you feel conviction, just know that I felt it before you this week. Because I believe I have been far too lenient on the Sabbath. And I know that some of you have been as well, we do not honor this day as holy like we should, you know, in church planting world. They give you a lot of stats and um, facts about you know, how many people you need in your church for the church to survive. And what they tell you is, you know, if your Sunday attendance is 80 people, you really you need you know, 140, 150 people who would call your church home. Because what you can expect as a pastor is if you have a really dedicated church member, you know, they're probably going to be there about two Sundays out of every month. Now, friends, if what Stonewall Jackson was doing was legalism, then two times every month is definitely the pendulum going to the other side. The fact that we would only keep the Lord's Day if it was convenient for us. Give me a break. You think we care about God's command in the way that they did in those days? We do not. We profane the Sabbath just as they did in the days of Nehemiah. That's the second one, uh, which is Stonewall Jackson. The third example from history that I'd like to give you is... Uh, a Supreme Court case from 1892 and listen to the name of this court case. This is cool. It's the Holy Trinity versus the United States. <laughs> Isn't that cool? It's the, the church's name was Holy Trinity, but now it's really the Holy Trinity against the United States. But that's neither here nor there. That's a heck of a name. But what I, I, cho- I chose this case because we get a glimpse of the way that not just the church, but the world was at that time. You get to see that this nation that we live in was once truly a Christian nation. Now, here, here is the, the kind of problem that, they happen, that happened. This church, Holy Trinity, had paid a pastor from Europe to come over, and it caused a big thing about, you know, you're not supposed to pay foreign ministers. And the Supreme Court said, no, you can pay foreign ministers because they are doing the Lord's work. That's basically the idea behind it. But I want to read a part of the unanimous decision. Every single Supreme Court justice said, yes, of course, this is the right thing to do. And this is part of their decision. I'll read it to you. It says, among other matters, note the following, the form of oath universally prevailing, concluding with an appeal to the almighty, the custom of opening sessions of all deliberate bodies and most conventions with prayer, the perfectory words of all wills in the name of God. Amen. The laws respecting the observance of Sabbath with the general cessation of all secular business, all secular business was closed in the whole country. It says in the closing of courts, legislators and other similar public assemblies on that day, the churches and church organizations which abound in every city, town and Hamlet. I don't know what Hamlet is. Some of you might know this is in every Hamlet. It makes me think of an omelet. I don't know why, <laughs> but it says this is happening in all of the multitude of charitable organizations existing everywhere under Christian auspices, the gigantic missionary associations with general support aiming to establish Christian missions in every quarter of the globe. These and many other matters which might be noticed add a volume of unofficial declarations to the mass of organic utterances that this is indeed a Christian nation. There is no dissonance in these declarations. Nobody disagrees with us on this. There is a universal language pervading them all, having one meaning. They affirm and reaffirm that this is a religious nation. These are not individual sayings, declarations of private persons. They are organic utterances. They speak the voice of the entire people. Now we have Supreme Court justices who can't even define what a woman is. (laughs) They argue over whether we should murder babies at six weeks or whether we should just murder them whenever we want to murder them. They argue about whether we should give teenagers puberty blockers or not give them puberty blockers. Friends, it's hard for me to say Stonewall Jackson's generation was overly legalistic when I look at the fruit of our generation. Yeah. You'll know a teaching by its fruit. I don't know if we got to do what he did, but I know that what we're doing is not working. This country has fallen a long ways. Now, I started with uh, the church history piece because I think it's important and it highlights a lot. But it's not most important, is it? Because if Stonewall Jackson is doing something that God didn't want him to do, I don't care how good it sounds. I honestly do not care what Stonewall Jackson thinks about things. But I do care about what God thinks about things. And when we look at God's word, we see that he really cares about the Sabbath. This is not some small thing to the God of this universe. Uh, I've got three examples. They kind of rise in uh, my reasoning for why I think God takes this serious. The first one is that It is in the Ten Commandments. Now, a lot of us don't even know the Ten Commandments. That's probably because we don't keep the Sabbath. So we don't learn about the Ten Commandments. But one of the Ten Commandments is actually the fourth commandment, which is to keep the Sabbath day holy. Now, part of what makes the Ten Commandments unique is that they are the ones that God himself wrote. There's over 600 commands, 613 or 14, however you count them up, that Moses is given by God for the people of Israel. But only the first ten, we're told, are written with God's own finger. God said, I'm going to write these ones down on stone tablets for you. Why? Because they're that important. There's only 10 of them that God himself wrote down. And we as the church now seem to think, yeah, well, the other nine, we'll keep those. But this 10th one, we don't really want that one anymore. Really? There's 10 commandments. And God found them to be so serious that he himself would write them. And we don't think they're that important to us. How can we do that? To me, that should scare us. And you say, well, Jesus came and there's grace for these things. And you're right. And Jesus came and you know what he said? He said, I am the Lord of the Sabbath. In other words, I'm the one who created the Sabbath. And a God doesn't have a body. We know that. So whose finger was writing on those stone tablets? What finger could have been writing on it? It's the finger of Jesus before he came in the flesh as a man. It's an appearance of Jesus Christ before the ultimate appearance where he came. These are the words of Jesus. He wants us to keep the Sabbath. Now, if you're not a Christ follower here today, who cares? Do whatever you want. But if you say Jesus is your Lord, and he's the Lord of the Sabbath, well, then the Sabbath ought to mean something to you. It's in the Ten Commandments. Number two is this is what put the Israelites in exile in the first place. So uh, if you'll remember, I'm sure you've got this whole sermon series memorized, but just in case you didn't or you missed one, if we go back to the beginning, the reason why Ezra and Nehemiah are working is because the people of God are just now out of a 70-year slavery Uh, God had gotten so angry at his people that he disciplined them. He disciplined them by letting first the Assyrians overtake them and then the Babylonians overtake them into slavery for 70 years. And you know why God did that? Well, Nehemiah tells us the reason why God ultimately punished the people. Nehemiah chapter 13, verses 17 and 18 says, I rebuked the nobles of Judah and said to them, what is this evil you are doing profaning the Sabbath day? Didn't your ancestors do the same so that our God brought all this disaster on us and on the city? And now you are rekindling his anger against Israel by profaning the Sabbath. Now, if I didn't know this and I were to make a list of the reasons of what would make God so mad that he would send his people into slavery, (laughs) Sabbath wouldn't even make the top 100. There'd be so many other things that I would think would make God angry and yet not for God. The, The final straw, so to speak, was that his people were not keeping the Sabbath holy. So much so that he disciplined them. Well, friends, if, if Nehemiah were to show up today, what do you think he would think of what we are doing on the Sabbath day? Do you think it would be pleasing to God? Or do you think Nehemiah would say something very similar to us that he said to the Israelites? Now, the final way that I know that this is serious to God uh, is that this was punishable by death. You want to know how serious God took this law? Look at Exodus thirty-one fourteen with me. Observe the Sabbath, for it is holy to you. Whoever profanes it must be put to death. If anyone does work on it, that person must be cut off from his people. This is not God saying, oh, please keep the Sabbath. Would you please keep the Sabbath? I, just, I want you to keep the Sabbath. It will be good for you, really. I mean, it's like trying to you know, get your children to eat vegetables. Please do it. Please, please. No, this is serious. So serious that God says the person who doesn't keep it needs to be put to death and cut off from the community. Numbers fifteen thirty-two through 36, we get an example. It's one of the few examples we actually get of an execution in the Bible by command of God. Verse 32, it says, while the Israelites were in the wilderness, they found a man gathering wood on the Sabbath day. Those who found him gathering wood brought him to Moses, Aaron and the entire community. They placed him in custody because it had not been decided what should be done to him. Then the Lord told Moses, the man is to be put to death. The entire community is to stone him outside the camp. So the entire community brought him outside the camp and stoned him to death as the Lord had commanded Moses. Now, friends, I'm not ashamed of the Bible. There was a time in my past where I would have read that and then given you a whole bunch of qualifications for why God did what God did. But what I've become more convinced of is that I am not God. God is God. And whatever he says is right must be right. I have no reason to question him. And if God says a man is to die for not keeping the Sabbath, well, then God is God and I am not. And that's what he says here. It is that important. And what do we do on the Sabbath? We only are here if we are able to be here. I know that's not true for all of us. And even those of us who are here every week, do we keep the Sabbath all day or just for 60 minutes? Friends, I think we ought to take this way more serious because God takes it more serious. Now, now, all those bricks I told you about at the beginning of the sermon, they're on your back now, aren't they? You're like, my goodness, this is a fire brimstone sermon. He's making me feel like a worm. Good. I've done my job. Uh, I felt like a worm all week, too. I, I understand that. But now we go to the cross. We go to Jesus Christ. And friends, here's what I want you to know. There is grace for you. There is grace for all of us who are followers of Jesus Christ. This is not a legalistic message. It wasn't even for Nehemiah. Look at Nehemiah uh, 13, 22. At the end of this, he says this. Remember me for this also, my God, and look on me with compassion according to the abundance of your faithful love. He's not saying look on me in compassion because look at me, I keep the Sabbath so well. He's saying, no, I can't keep the Sabbath. I can't keep any of the commands that God has given me. The only hope I have is that you would look on me with your abounding love. And that abounding love is made manifest in the life of Jesus Christ, who lived the life we could not live, keeping the Sabbath perfectly as he designed it. And then he died the death I deserve to die. I told you, what was the punishment for not keeping the Sabbath? It was death. You and I do not have to die that death. Do you know why? Because somebody has already died it for us. The one who kept Sabbath perfectly was put on a cross and he was cursed and he died because you and I don't keep the Sabbath. Friends, when we look at the cross, we should see two things. We see Jesus lifted up. We should see the horror of our sin. You don't think keeping the Sabbath is a big deal? Look at the cross. Your Savior was beaten and bloodied for it. You still don't think it's a big deal? And we should also see the love of God. And the love of God is what transforms us. And in Jesus, we have two things. We have forgiveness and we have freedom. There's forgiveness of your sins. Do not leave here. If you haven't kept the Sabbath right for the past 30 years, I don't care. Because if you're in Christ Jesus, there's forgiveness for you. But we also have freedom. We have freedom not to sin as we please. We have freedom to do what we should do. We have freedom to keep God's law. And not only that, but God is transforming us degree by degree so that what we ought to do is what we want to do. That God is making us people who want to keep the Sabbath. And if the band wants to go ahead and come back up, that is my prayer for you all during this series that we're going to do on the Sabbath here in Nehemiah chapter 13. Uh, I promise that it it will get less... uh, Law abounding. But this first sermon, I have to set it up because I need you to feel what I felt this week. I need you to see that what we have done is we have profaned one of God's commands. And if we love God, and I believe that you guys love God, don't you want to do what God has called us to do? Don't you want to trust in Him in the way we are to trust in Him? And I don't exactly know what it looks like for me as a father. I don't know what it looks like for us as a church family, but I do know this. Some things have got to change. If we're going to keep the Sabbath holy, some things have got to change. And I'm so grateful that Jesus has been so kind to us to show us this, to offer us forgiveness and to offer us freedom. Let me pray for you. Father God, thank you so much for everybody who is here gathering on the Lord's Day. In many ways, I'm preaching to the choir because these are the people who came and worshipped you. These are the people who set this day apart as worship for you. God, I pray that you would lead us well during this season. God, show us what the Sabbath is supposed to be all about and help us, God. We don't want to go into the ditch of legalism. But God, let us not be people who just completely ignore your laws and your commands. For they are good for us. God, help us to want the things we ought to want. And friends, if you would, take ten seconds with your eyes closed, head bowed, and just say, Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me through this message? Father, I pray that you give us the courage to obey what you've called us to do. It's in your name that I pray. Amen. Amen. If I could have my uh, ushers come forward, we'll go ahead with the offering now. We always end the service with three different things in response to God's word being preached. God has spoken to us, and so now we respond. Uh, The first way that we respond is by offering back to God what is already His. We remind ourselves that everything we have comes from Him, and so we return that which is rightfully His. And while they are doing that, they'll just be playing music. And it's meant to be a time of reflection. We live in a world where we hate awkward silences. So we fill our life with noise. But God speaks to us in the silence. So my prayer is is that as the offering plates are going, you would have some silence. You would have some space to be able to ask God what he is calling you to do. And then we will stand and we will sing praises to King Jesus. Let me pray over the offering and then we will begin. Father, thank you for all that you've given us. God, thank you for all that you've allowed us to steward. May we steward it well and give back to you what belongs rightfully to you. It's in your name that I pray. Amen.